Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. For now, I'm going to start a new series and it's called Seven. Turn to the person next to you and say, Seven. Seven, And it's a series about unwavering faith in uncertain times. If ever there was a time where we needed unwavering faith, it's in these uncertain times. Most people want certainty and the reality is we can't get the certainty we hope for. Do you know that to be true? We want certainty, but we can't always get the certainty we want. And whenever you can't get certainty, you need clarity. And so hopefully this series will stir us and that we'll be more clear about what it is that we believe and more importantly, who it is that we believe in and that we'll have faith like never before in these uncertain times. Amen. And so we're going to be looking at the seven letters written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. That's right. We're delving into the book of Revelation and we're going to be looking at the seven letters of the seven churches. And basically the big idea of this series is to look at what it is to have faith in a world filled with spiritual opposition. Some of you were a bit shocked when you became a Christian because you thought you would have no more opposition. And I wanna tell you that nothing can be further from the truth. Sometimes opposition increases when we become a Christian. And what we don't need is less opposition. What we need is more faith. And this series is about increasing our faith in these times where opposition comes and uncertainty Prevails. And so, what we want to do is look at what Jesus said to the church some 2,000 years ago through these letters to the churches and what that means for us today. And the first letter is to the church in Ephesus. And that's what we're going to delve into today. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, and we want to read the first seven verses. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 says this, To the angel of the Lord in the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that have, te- that have tested those to claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying, that we might live victoriously. Wouldn't that be a great name for a church? Victory Church, amen. Who wants to live victoriously? Amen. Well, victorious living is not about the absence of uh, opposition. It's about overcoming opposition. And that's why these letters was all about. It was about speaking to the church in ways that they could overcome in their present circumstances. 
And so to this church in Ephesus, we need to understand a little bit about what Ephesus was back in the day. And Ephesus back in its day was kind of like a modern day Melbourne, okay? A modern day Melbourne. In other words, it was a centre of commerce, banking, entertainment, knowledge. It was a large cosmopolitan city. And among many things, it was known for three main things. The first one, and we have a picture of it behind me, was the stadium or the Colosseum. You know, it was said that a city could be determined by its size when you looked at the size of the Colosseum. Basically, a stadium like this held about 10% of the city. So as you can see, looking at this picture, it was a large city. It was a large city. And it was known for its Colosseum. Not only was it known for its Colosseum, but it was also known for its library. It had the third's world's library at the time. And a fun fact that uh, there was a tunnel that joined the local library to a brothel. And so people would go to the library looking like they wanted knowledge, but actually entertaining other things and ideas. And so they'd come out, do their thing, and they'd come out via the library and the wifey would say, how was the library? It's great, honey, did a lot of studying today. And this is what Jesus was speaking into. So it's known for its library and its knowledge and its, and its desire to learn. And it was also known for its temple. And its temple was a place where they worshipped the, the goddess Artemis or Diana. Artemis uh, was the Greek version of Diana, which was a Roman version of the same God. And uh, this temple was one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. So it was a big city. It was well known and it was into this context that Jesus speaks. And uh, we want to look at what He said and how that applies to us today. If you can't apply the Word of God into our context, then actually it's of no value whatsoever. But what we're going to hopefully find that through this series, as we do every week, is there's something not only for then, but there's something for us. But in order to understand what is for us, we first must know what it meant for them back then. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at each letter in relationship to faith. Say faith. faith. Every time we preach, we have to pick a certain angle. And more recently, we had uh, Pastor Shane Willard speak on one of the letters to the church of Sardis. And he did a brilliant job, but his angle was uh, establishing the fact that these letters were written from a historical point of view, not just a futurist point of view. In other words, it's something that happened, not something that's about to happen. That was his angle. That's not our angle during this series. Our angle is to look at these letters in relationship to faith. Say faith one more time. And so today, more specifically, we're looking at loving faith, at loving faith. In other words, we need to be a people that not only have faith, but have a loving faith. And a loving faith is identified by a few things. And we see that in the way this letter is written. And the first one is simply this, a loving faith holds on to the good. It holds on to the good. The letter says, I know your deeds. In other words, God was aware of the good things that they were doing. And I want you to know that because I think there's a notion out there that God is a grumpy old man 
sitting on a cloud with a walking stick and a long grey beard and he's just cynical and he's miserable and he's just judging everyone. And he's like a grumpy old man, just, just sick and tired of life and sick and tired of eternity and just wants to tell everyone off all of the time and he's a big party pooper in heaven. Honestly, that's a version of God that many, many people have today. And I'm here to categorically tell you it is simply not true. We see that He commends this church. Although there was some issue, He commends them. He commends them for their toil. He commends them for their patient endurance. He commends them for their love of the Scriptures. He commends them that this was, they were a church that was a steadfast church. They were a separated church. They were a serving church. They were a sacrificing church. And they were a suffering church. And I wanna take this moment right here, right now to commend you as a church. Because this has not been an easy season. I don't know too many people who say, yeah, 2020 has been an awesome year. There are a handful of you and God bless you. But for the majority of us, it's been a crazy year. And I wanna say, well done, church. Well done. You've kept your head up. And I want you to continue to keep your head up because our best days are ahead of us. Your best days are ahead of you. So don't give up, don't give in. Let's have unwavering faith even in these uncertain times, amen. So give yourselves a round of applause. Well done, well done, well done to you, well done. You see, in difficult seasons, we have to know what it is to hold on to the good because that's where faith comes in. It's easy to hold on to the good when it's good. Have you noticed that? When it's good, it's easy to hold on to the good. You don't go to too many weddings and and, and the the groom's like, oh, this is bad. No, it's good because it's a good day and and it's a good moment. But it's when things aren't so good. That's when it's harder to hold on to the good. And what I love about the way these letters are constructed not only are they addressing an issue, but, but first and foremost, they're laying a foundation with, you know, there's lots of good things happening here. There's lots of good things that are taking place. And in order for us to do that, we need to look for it. If you're saying, Tony, how do you hold on to the good when things aren't so good? Well, this is, this is it. In a nutshell, you've got to look for the good. When you can't see the good, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means you can't see it. So you've got to go looking for it. And the best way I know how to look for it is to do what the Bible calls meditation. Meditation is when we take time out and stop and think. See, meditation is not just emptying our mind of all the negative thoughts, it's filling it with the positive ones. And I know this to be true, no matter how dark your day is, no matter how dark your week may have been, there has been littered with good things. The trouble is we don't see them because we get overwhelmed with all the negative things that are taking place in our lives. And this letter is constructed in a way to help us to know what it is to hold on to the good. And if we would spend time to think, then we would find that we have time to thank. I say this all the time, but if I said to you right now, I want you to thank your wife or thank your husband or thank your daughter or thank your son, you might say, oh, I don't know about that. And I would simply say, no, you need time to think about it. Because right now you might be consumed with with what they did this morning and they didn't make their bed or they they spilt the milk or they did something silly or they they were fighting and you're consumed with the things you don't like. But if you just stop and think, I think every one of us, and maybe this is some homework for us to do this week, everyone online, it's for homework, to stop and think what it is you appreciate, 
about God. What it is that you appreciate about your husband and or wife. What it is you appreciate about your children. What it is you appreciate about your friends. Take time to stop and think. I believe that's what God had in mind when He said, let's get together and do church. Church is something that we shouldn't have to do. It's something that we do to take time out of our busy week, to have a sealer moment where we stop and reflect on God and remember how good He is. Where we stop and remember how great He is. Where we stop and remember He is wonderful. He is beautiful. He is magnificent. He is holy and He is worthy of honour. That's why we are gathered here primarily this morning. Yes, there's lots of benefits that come out of that. But first and foremost, it's about us gathering together to worship and remember Him and how good He is. So the first thing we can learn from this letter to the Ephesians is to hold on to the good. The second thing we can learn from is simply this, to speak the truth in love. A loving faith speaks the truth in love. It says, but I hold this against you. Holds on to the good, but now addresses the things that need to be addressed. That's what a loving faith does. In other words, it doesn't just push things under the carpet. If you ever had an egg sandwich, and you might not like egg sandwiches, but that's what my mum packed me as a kid growing up. Can you imagine the flack I got at lunchtime when I was at school with my friends? And what's that smell? Well, it was an egg sandwich. My mum loved making egg sandwiches, but to be honest, I loved eating them. They are just the best. A little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of lettuce, a little bit of carrot. I mean, it's just amazing. If you haven't done yourself, you know, if you've ever done that, do yourself a favour, have an egg sandwich. It's amazing. But the smell, on the other hand, was a little bit on the nose. And uh, I remember one of my egg sandwiches not getting eaten and I forgot it was in my bag. For many, many days, I forgot it was in my bag. And you know what? The smell didn't get better. The more I ignored it, it didn't go away. It actually got worse and worse and worse and worse. And when you don't deal with things in your life, in your marriage, it doesn't get better. It usually gets worse. And so you can push something under the carpet, but if you push an egg sandwich under the carpet because you couldn't be bothered picking it up, guess what? It ain't going anywhere. It's only gonna get worse. Believe me, I can tell you firsthand, I have firsthand knowledge of just how smelly an egg sandwich can get over a matter of weeks. Yeah, it was weeks. My son can better that story because he did a similar thing, but he put his bag in his cupboard. And every night we'd go, hey, no, good night, Mitch. And we'd pray for him. Say, what is that smell? What is that smell? This went on for months. <laughs> and eventually we found the culprit and, and this bag literally had legs. And when we found this bag, this bag had so much culture, it had grown. It said, hi, it, it spoke to us. And I went to pick it up and said, no, don't, don't mind. It just walked out itself. It was, just, it was, it was terrible. If you don't address things, it doesn't get better. It doesn't stay neutral for the most part. It gets worse. And what I love about God is that He doesn't just hold on to the good, but He speaks the truth in love. He lovingly confronts them. See, correction is one of the signs that He loves us. I want you to get this. God addresses the things in our lives that are unhelpful. Why? Because He loves us. 
Not because He's mad with us. Not because He's angry. I want to give you a different view of who God is. We think God is this old man who's sick to death of people and He's forever telling us off. No, He corrects us not because He's angry, not because He's mad, not because He hates us. He actually corrects us because He loves us. Hebrews 12 tells us this. In verse 12, it says, Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and not true daughters at all. It's a sign that God loves you when He corrects you. Because correction is for our own good. In actual fact, it's a sign that we are following Jesus. If you've been so good with Jesus for so long, you're probably not as close to Jesus as you think you are. Because have you noticed when we do the wrong thing, that's when we tend to want to step away from the ones we love. You can be in a loving relationship with someone, but when you do the wrong thing, it's the thing that tends to isolate us. And we see that is not new. That goes way back to the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. They were in loving relationship with God. The Bible tells us that they would walk and talk in the cool of the evening with God Himself, night after night, month after month, year after year. And on that fateful day where they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate that fruit, they went into hiding. They separated themselves from this loving God, not because God hated them, not because God had changed toward them, but because of the guilt and the sin and the shame attached to what they had done. One of the reasons I know I'm close to God is that He's addressing me. He's adjusting me. He's saying, hey, Tony, watch that. That's no way to speak to your wife. Can't treat your children like that. Hey, be careful when you say that. I've had a lot of practice at saying sorry over the years as I've stayed close to Jesus. So let's put a positive spin on correction. Wherever you are right now watching online, let's not see correction as something that is bad, but it's actually something that is good for us. Practically speaking, when it comes to speaking the truth in love, just a few things, I would say to tell the truth in love, not in times of conflict. Just practically for us, it says tell the truth in love, not yell it in frustration. How many here are guilty of yelling the truth in love? You might be truth. You might be telling the truth. You might be right. But right now, it's more about the frustration than anything else. It doesn't say yell it in anger. It doesn't say yell it in frustration. It says tell it in love. And so when you're in your frustration and when you're in your anger moment, don't speak in that place. Calm down and wait for a better, more appropriate time to bring up what you need to bring up. And that's why I love the order of this letter. First holds on to the good. says all the good things and then addresses the situation. So it's not out of anger, it's out of necessity that this information is being brought to them. Timing is everything. You can be right with your information, but wrong about your timing. And if you're right about your information, but wrong with your timing, guess what? It doesn't usually go well. It's best to be right about your timing and right about your information. So practically, let's tell the truth in non-conflict times. And secondly, I'd say, remember this, attack the issue, not the person. Address the do, not the who. So that we don't make it personal. Does that make sense? Is this helpful this morning? Who knew that all this information was in the book of Revelation? Who knew that Revelation could be so practical and helpful? Loving faith. Loving faith 
Number three, keeps the main thing, the main thing. It keeps the main thing, the main thing. He says, you got to hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In other words, hard work is not a bad thing. It's just not the main thing. God is not against work. Some of you have read the story of Mary and Martha and you say, oh, I'm Mary. I just sit at the feet of Jesus and that Martha, she's too busy working. No, no, no. Jesus is not against work. In actual fact, Adam and Eve had work to do. I love work and you should love work too. We should want to work and do something effective for the Kingdom of God. Work is a good thing. Can I hear you say that? Work is a good thing? It's a good thing. However, good deeds, sound doctrine, endurance, as good as they all are, they must never be at the expense of our first love. You see, as I look around this room, I see a lot of people I love. And as I look around this room, I see members of my family who I love just that little bit more. One of them is on the front row here. She's just amazing, serving the cafe this morning, just beautiful. Our other is in the kids on the worship band and, and Mitch is in New Zealand. I don't know what the heck he's doing, but he's having fun. <laughs> Getting tattoos and having fun. Love him dearly. But then there's one special person and she's on the front row. It's my wife. She's my first love. She's my first love. And I have a love for her that's like no other. I love you and I love my kids. I love my family. But my wife is my first love. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing when he says you've forsaken your first love. Because it's so easy for us to do that, not just with God, but with those that we're closest to. You know, over time, and I say over time intentionally, because over time it's easy to replace devotion with duty. It's easy to replace devotion with duty. You see, it's not a matter of either or. It's not about duty or devotion. It's about both and. And you would have heard me say this many, many times as I've preached, many times in leadership meetings, many times in staff meetings. It's about both and, not either or. But there has to be an order to the and. It's not only about both and, but it's about the and and the correct order. And probably the best way to illustrate this is when we see in Matthew 4, Jesus being tempted by the devil and on three occasions, he says, away from me, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. And on the last time, Jesus said these words, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, it's worship and service. It's both and. It's not Mary or Martha. It's not worship or service. It's worship and service. But you've got to make sure the order is right. If we put work before worship, eventually we'll be too tired to worship. That's why we need to put devotion first. That's why we need to put worship first. If we're not careful, we get caught up in working for God and forget to spend time with God. And unfortunately in church life, what that equals is a little thing called burnout. It's a little thing called the church used me. It's a little thing called the church abused me. And while that can happen, I do believe with all of my heart The majority of that is because we forgot to worship. We forgot to go to the one who gives us the ability to sustain that which we are being asked to do. The ability to do that which we said we would do. 
God wants to meet with us and make sure that whatever comes out of our life is some of the right platform. And I would dare say that this is true in our marriages as well. How many marriages end in divorce? Why? Because we just commit to the daily grind of life instead of commit to and stay committed to one another. We need to be people that stay committed to one another and not just commit to the daily grind of life. Unfortunately, the thing that makes this hard to put into practice is the subtlety of how it creeps up. See, falling out of love with someone or forgetting your first love doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. It doesn't happen suddenly. We lose it slowly. No one walks down the aisle on the day of their wedding and says, I can't wait to get divorced. No one says that. And yet sadly, that happens for more than half of all marriages. So what happens? Over a period of time, we get worn down by the daily grind and we forget why we got married in the first place. And I see that in church all the time. And then we blame church or then we change church. And then we change church and then we change church and then we change church. And brothers and sisters, this should not be the case. We should be people who are more in love with Jesus today than we ever have been. I can categorically tell you, as a 51-year-old man, I love Jesus more today than when I first gave my life as a teenager. I can categorically tell you, as a man that's been married for 28 years, and with the same woman of 36 years, I love her more now than I did when we first met. But it's not because I'm perfect. Those who know me know that's not true. But it's because of a commitment to holding on to the very thing that this letter is addressing. Holding on to our first love. There'll be many things that can cause you to be distracted. In the worship this morning, I don't know if you noticed but maybe some of our English teachers did. But I leaned over to Mrs. Jones, who was on the front row, we were worshipping. This is worship, I said, oh, they spelled honour wrong. <laughs> they had the American version. Those Americans taking over everything. There's a you in honour, people. There's a you. At least there is in this country. And I find myself getting distracted. It's like, who cares? I mean, that happened to me this morning. I'm preaching on it. I know exactly where I'm going. You think if anyone could set me up well, it'd be me. But I didn't. I just still, I still got in the way of myself. Yeah, yeah. It's that simple and it's that subtle and it's that yeah. devious. Yeah. And not only did I distract myself, I distracted Mrs. Jones. <laughs> she looked at me like, you're so carnal. She was just worshipping. <laughs> I deserved that. I did. I deserved that. I, she was right. I was like, what, what am I doing? Now, I know you wonderful people, you're just not like that. You'll never be distracted by any of that. Not, ne- never. It's never too loud. It's never too hot. You're never in the wrong seat. Never, never, never. I know. It's just me. It's just, it's always me. But you know what? I thank God for that conviction because that's why I know the Holy Spirit is working in my life. I'm about to get up and preach and you don't realise you're worshiping. I'm getting rebuked on the front row by, by the very God I'm talking about, by the very God I love. And listen to you. There's no you in honour. I feel like God said, just shut up and honour me, however you spell it. 
Yeah, like that, laughing at my expense. <laughs> it's all right. Any comments online right now, please be kind. <laughs> and number four is the band come up. Number four, a loving faith remembers there's always hope. A loving faith remembers there's always hope. It says, repent and do the things you did at first. Whenever you find yourself in this place where you've drifted, the Bible is very clear and there's three R's. You've got to remember. Just stop and remember. Yeah. Repent. And thirdly, just return. Remember, repent, return. Remember, repent, return. The Bible says this way, do what you did at first. Whenever someone comes to me and they're struggling in the marriage, I always say this. What did you do when you first started dating? They tell me all the things they used to do. I said, well, just do that. Because whatever you did to get the girl, you've got to do to keep the girl. That's my advice to all the men. Did you have a shower? Well, have a shower. <laughs> did you used to put on deodorant? Yeah, I did. We'll put on deodorant. Please, for all of us. <laughs> did you used to do your hair? Oh, I, yeah. Well, do your hair. Well, if you don't have hair now, shine your head. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you did to get the girl, you've got to do to keep the girl. You can't woo her by doing certain things and then stop doing all that. We had the opportunity just recently to go away for Queensland and, and we went away intensely as husband and wife first. And then BJ joined us and then Jordan and Nat joined us and Mitch joined us online. <laughs> We have this thing, he sits there and has dinner with us. We just put him in the middle of the table and he has dinner with us. But we intentionally went to have time just for ourselves. And honestly, in those days where there was no kids, if you'd watch Kath and I, and I hope there is no footage of us, but we were just like love-struck teenagers, just falling in love again and, and just doing things that, you know, probably is not acceptable for 51-year-olds to be doing. And I say that with a smile on my face and a twinkle in my eye and a swing in my step because that's the way it should be. Why should I give her a shoddy, old, terrible, tired version of myself? I said in sickness and in health. And I want to keep this marriage healthy. Amen. So come on, church. If this stings a bit, because I realize I'm talking about marriage and I know some of you have experienced divorce, I'm not here to bring up the pain of that. I'm not here to bring any condemnation whatsoever. I'm talking about our future. I'm talking about if there was another guy to come along, another girl who came along. I'm talking about your future. Same thing applies. Same thing applies. But first and foremost, it applies to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, God wants our heart. And not just 10% of our heart, He wants our whole heart. He wants us all in. That's what this letter is all about. Jesus is effectively saying, don't go after anything with more passion than you go after me. If you love football, great. And personally, you're never, you're never going to believe this. As a Crow supporter, I actually want Port Adelaide to get in the grand final. I think it'd be great for us to be able to have our men's night with Port Adelaide playing. We've got a massive screen that we're going to hire in for the night. It's going to be great. But I think it'd just be made that much better if Port Adelaide get in the final. So as of the next few days, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm a Port Adelaide supporter. I'm just saying. 
Miracle, I know. And I'm going to be passionate and I'll be going for our boys. A little bit of sick just came up there. It's just our boys. I'll be going for it. And I'm a passionate guy. I am. I'm a passionate guy. But I made a commitment. I remember as a teenager, I'm not going to be more passionate about anything else other than Jesus. And I'm passionate about a lot of things. And I think one of the things that breaks God's heart is when we just idle in worship, bored in worship. You put a brand new baby in someone's hands. Oh my God, they go, oh, look at the leg. Oh, look. And they come alive. He said, like, can you raise your hands? He said, I don't do that. I don't do that. Are you kidding me? You put a baby like, woo, woo. <laughs> Won't speak in tongues, but. Whoa, wow. Speaking in tongues is weird, but. And I'm all for that. That's me. I did that as a dad. It's awesome. And if you put a baby in my hands, that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully, won't cry. That was. People say, I never see you hold many babies, that's why. <laughs> hey, the good news, church, listen to me. The good news. If you have lost your first love, or if you find yourself drifting from your first love, you can get it back. And I'll tell you why. Categorically, I can tell you why. Because Jesus never left you. How many here have ever lost their iPhone? And what do we say when we lost our iPhone? I've lost my iPhone! And I would say to you, no, you haven't. It's exactly where you last left it. We haven't lost Jesus. You just got to remember the last time I was with Him. And for some of you who are my age, the last time you were with Him might have been youth camp. So let's pick it up. And youth camp's all about saturating ourselves in the presence of God. Let's just saturate ourselves in the presence of God. You might be too old for a youth camp, but you're never too old to saturate yourself in the presence of God. Just, Just listen to a whole album. That's why we love youth camps. That's why we love conferences. Because there are times where we just get away and we separate ourselves from the busyness and the hustle and the bustle. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.